Would you uh, just bow your heads with me in prayer? I want to get started on the right foot. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. So Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you how, I thank you for the fact that your word speaks to us. Today, even though it was written thousands of years ago, but it's so relevant to the issues we face today. The struggles. You, and, and the reason, I think, is because we're human. And they were human back then. And uh, some things never change under the sun. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. That you encourage us. Maybe challenge us in ways we previously have not been challenged. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's message is Rebuilding Altars. Rebuilding Altars. And the big idea is this. God wants humble, repentant hearts from those who carry his name. Humble, repentant hearts from those who carry his name. Turn to 1 Kings 18. You're going to see a subtle change in my preaching style. I have been convicted that uh, we're going we're gonna to have you read your Bibles. There's going to be less on the screen for you guys. I want you to learn what your Bibles look like. I want you to get, bring a pen and, or a highlighter. Mark it up. I want you to get comfortable. I want this, this, this thing to be called like your leather friend. Something that is, is comfortable in your hand. So I know I see a lot of thumbs. I get it. It's 2020, whatever it is. But um, I'd encourage you, find something that has a little texture to it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's, it's important. I think we've kind of gotten away from that. And it's a lot harder. I don't know. You can, you can accuse me of being old school, but I think it's a lot harder to save what you're doing, what, you, what God is saying to you in, in a digital format, I think, it's, I think it's pretty neat to be able to go back and read, oh, that was what God said to me when I was reading this chapter last time. Last time, pre- pastor preached this sermon. <laughs> then you keep track of how many times I recycle sermons. Okay. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And this is an amazing verse, uh, a set of chapters. And we're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to read through 39. You ready? So enjoy it. Follow along. Your translation might be a little different, but that's okay. Here we go. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, how long, love this, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Focus on that for a second. The people did not answer him a word. They had nothing to say. They were riding the fence and they knew it. 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I alone, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now he lays down the gauntlet. Now let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves. He's given them the choice here for themselves. 
um, and cut it into pieces and lay it on the, on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put, it, put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, lowercase g-o-d, and I will call upon the name of the capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And the God who answers by fire, I think the text is very interesting here. If you're looking, this is kind of why I like you to have your Bibles with you. What does it say? I will call upon the Lord and the God. What is the, what is the G? It's capital, because he knows who's going to answer already. He knows that there ain't no little gods calling down fire from heaven. Only the God, the God, the one and only, the capital, G-O-D, is calling down fire. He's already confident in that. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. All right. That's a a version of amen, I guess, right? It is well spoken. 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves the one bull and prepare it for first. For you are many, and call upon the name of the God, of your God, and put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal. The morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. Big surprise. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, I love this part. And at noon, Elisha mocked them, saying, Cry louder, for he is a god, right? Either he is a miss, uh, um, missing or he is relieving himself. Maybe your God's in the commode, and he can't quite hear you. I think that's amazing. This is like the man of God, right? And he's like saying these type of things. I love it. All right. So he said, maybe he's, maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awoken. And they cried louder, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. Now, just a little sidebar, a little, a little uh, soapbox. You will notice that um, false gods and demonic presence, almost, almost 100% has this practice of cutting themselves. That's why it's so disturbing to me in our country right now that many of our teenagers are, are falling into that, that idea of, of cutting to relieve stress. It's, it's demonic, it's from the pit of hell, and it's the same yesterday as it was today. But people are looking. People are trying to find ways to relieve. And I'm saying, my Christian young people in this room, choose today, man. Stop limping between two ideas. Choose God. He's the only one. All right? Anyway, and as, uh, as midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering, the afternoon offering. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Okay. 
And there's a very important word that we need to look at. It goes, then. I love that. It's like, okay, boys, you had your time. Let's show, let's, let's show you what it's really all about. You know, Elisha comes across as this, this, this guy. He's got a little bravado. You know, he, he's, he's, got a, he's got a little bit of a holy swagger. He, know, he knows. He knows that God's going to show up. He knows it. So he's, he's stepping out a little bit on this one. All right, you guys. Maybe you should, maybe you should try a little harder. Maybe he's sleeping. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Better wake him up. He's sleeping. Surely your God is a God. Then he says, then. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Key verse for this message. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. What does that mean to us? It means there was already an altar on Mount Carmel. It was already there. Everybody was standing around it, maybe even on it. It was already there, but it had fallen into such disrepair from lack of use. It had fallen, it had been thrown down by the pagan practices of the time. And Elijah, I love a lot what Elijah does here. He says, I have no need to make up something new. I'm not going to impress you with something new. God has always been God. God will always be God. All I need to do is repair what has already been thrown down. That was good then. It's good today. We need to rebuild altars. So Elijah took 12 stones. The stones cry out. I thought Lisa Stone would like the title of this message. The stones cry out. You like this series? Yeah, I know you might like this series. Uh, the idea is this. He, built, he took 12 stones, and, and, and there's no indication that these are the new stones. I think these were the original 12 stones of this altar. And he, and he built it back. He took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, uh, came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as, uh, as great as we could contain two sahas, whatever that is, of seed. And he put the wood on, in order to cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He is stepping out. He's like, just so there's no confusion here. Just so there's no, you know, well, maybe there was some random lightning bolt that came down and sparked that dry wood. We're just, just so there's no thought that I could have made it, uh, done a trick on you guys. Why don't you get four jars of water? And you, you do it. You pour water on it. Let's, let's see what happens. You pour water on it. Pour, oh, fill four jars with water. And he said, Why don't, you know what? Just so that we're sure here. That nobody's pulling any funny business. Do it again. And he said, do it a second time. Then he did it a second time. And he said, 
you know what? Just for good measure. Do it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. I want you to see that there's, remember the prophets of Baal here? They worked really long hours. And they were working, they were, they were working, and they were calling, and they took a long time, and they were doing all kind of gyrations and, and you, know, you know, their funky chicken dances around, the, around this altar that they had built. There's no break in the prayer of Elijah to the answer of God. Listen to this. Turn their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And, a lot of ands there, and licked up the water that was in the trench. That's some hot fire. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that these ancient words can speak to our very predicaments today. In Jesus' name. Point one. We didn't even get to the sermon yet. That's just the reading. I, I, mean, I just read that. We could just go, all go home right now. I mean, that, that's amazing stuff. But let's try to take that ancient text and see how it applies to us in the, you know, 2020, the year that will live in infamy. It will be a bay word, 2020. First point today that I want to make is this. We can't be afraid of confrontation. We can't be afraid of confrontation. Verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? That's a confrontational question. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. We can't be afraid of confrontation. When we look, at, we look into the New Testament, we see that Jesus was somebody that we always consider to be somebody who is a peacemaker. And somebody who is gentle and kind. Read all of it, please. When the moment was, when it was necessary, Jesus did not speak this way. Verse 26 of uh, Matthew 10, verse 25 says this. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. 
What he's saying is, what, you, what, you, what I tell you in the dark, he said, I want you to go out and, sh- and throw some light on this stuff. That's what you're supposed to do. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, who cannot kill the soul. So that's, do you see this confrontation thing here? He's talking about like, you're going to say stuff and people are going to want to kill you. Do we relate to that in this day and age? I, yeah. He said, you got to do it. You can't be so afraid of confrontation that you're muzzled. And do not fear who kills the body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to be more afraid of our testimony before God, our, our, our actions, our behavior toward God than we are about people. What are they going to do? The worst they could do is kill you. God's like, don't be so afraid of that. Why are we so afraid of, of that? Then 34 says this, and this is, this is important for us to understand today. And I'm going to break it down a little bit, so don't, don't get nervous. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold the phone. Weren't you the prince of peace? Yes, he is. But he says, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother. Oh, that's natural. Mother-in-law. He didn't even need to say that one. Okay, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Like, that's crazy. God wouldn't do that. Go to the Middle East right now. Countless stories of people who have accepted Jesus Christ who are now being hunted by their brother, their eldest brother. If that brother gets a hold of him, he will cut his head off own brother. We are disconnected from, the, from, from a lot of this stuff, folks. We're afraid that somebody might, you know, behead us over Facebook. They're like, no, they're, my brother-in-law's really carrying a sword, like a real one. It's real stuff. Jesus is not intru- uh, instructing us to go out and start wars with people, but he is saying that the message of repentance is going to rub people the wrong way. He's like, if you preach what I'm telling you to preach, it's going to rub people the wrong way. When you start exposing the fruitless deeds of darkness and stand up for what is right and good and true, you're going to ruffle some feathers. It's inevitable. I'm not saying go out and pick a fight. I'm not saying that. And I don't think Jesus is saying that either. He's just saying, when you follow me, It's going to ruffle some feathers. Get ready for it. Don't be so surprised when it happens. But pastor, if I do something like that, I could lose my job. Yeah, you might. And I don't want you to lose your job. But if your job is asking you to do something that is not right, who's your master? God or man? Money. I'm saying the things that we stand up for are good. 
are going to rub people the wrong way because they are participants of the fruitless deeds of darkness many times. They don't even know. It's not even nearly their fault. Their father has deceived them. You're going to have to be confrontational in order to stand up for what is godly in a godless world. We are, we are in direct competition, direct opposition to the ruler of this world. There's going to be some confrontation. There's going to be. And I really think it's important for us to understand that so that we're not thrown off by it. If our, if our motivation is to have everybody like us, then we're in big trouble. We haven't read the scriptures. He said, guess what? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. We don't like those scriptures. We don't like those. It's going to happen, folks. And I'm telling you, we were talking about it in our prayer gathering yesterday. As we, as we get closer to the end of things, this end times prophecies are full of the church going through some, some difficulties. And I'm afraid we're not fortified in the Word of God and filled daily with the Spirit enough to withstand some of these things that are going to come. But they got to come. It's like Jesus compares it to labor pains. I've never had those. God. We were talking the other day, if guys had to have children, there'd be one person born. And that's it. That's it. We're not stupid. No, I'm just trying. Uh, but guys are babies. Women, you are the strongest people on the planet Earth. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Man. We went through that once. And then she said, let's do it again. I said, you crazy? I'm game for it, but you've got to do all the work. Then we did it three times. And they got bigger every time. It's the concept of the labor pains. It's going to get worse, but if you, when, when, when we get through it and we conquer it and we push through, all oh, the joy, the joy. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ. All the guys went, ooh, that's weird. Okay. Number two. We can't be surprised when the world doubles down. This is, the, this is what we don't get. We know the truth. Hey, I got the truth. The truth will set you free. I don't want that truth. I don't want that truth. Why are we surprised when sinners act like sinners? Why are we surprised when sinners sin? Why are we surprised when there's so much opposition to truth? I'll tell you why. Let's first read the passage. It says, They prepared it and called it on the name of Baal from morning to evening. O Baal, hear us. They cried aloud. And then after the, after the mocking of, of Elijah, they said, They cried aloud. More! And then instead of just yelling, they started cutting themselves. 
instead of saying, this is not working, maybe Baal is not really God, they had this bright idea, you know what we should do? We should cut ourselves. That sounds like a great idea. Let's do that instead of repenting. See what I'm saying? They doubled down on evil in the face of what was good. They doubled down on evil. So often Christians are shocked when sinful people act sinful. Even when we point out the problem or identify their sin, they often will double down on their wicked behavior. I've sat with more moms than I care to mention who have cried because their sons have walked away from God. And they've tried so hard to teach them, to to tell them the truth. And they seem to, every time they have a confrontation with their child, it could be a son, it could be a daughter, it seems like they dig themselves deeper. They dig in their heels and they don't want to see it. Can I just take a break from this for a second? Because I want to talk about something. We were talking about this a little while back. I'm going to talk to the men for a second. Guys, it is so vitally important that you are spiritual leaders in your homes. I don't know why this is. I I, I wish there was a study on this. But it seems to be uncannily true that when a mother could be the most amazing, God-honoring saint in the world. But if the father is not a believer, not, I would say maybe eight times, eight times out of ten, the children will follow the father. Even though their mom is the most amazing person in all the world. Mother Teresa in modern times. For some reason, the kids follow dad. I'm not making a commentary. I'm just making an observation. Men, it's so important. If you you are a young man, it's so important when that time comes. You have got to be the leader of your home. Spiritual priest in your home. If you are a grandfather or or an uncle, you can be that to a, to, a, to a nephew or a grandchild when it's not there in the home. We have, to, we have to step up as men and lead. But women can lead. I know, stop putting words in my mouth. I am not a chauvinist. All the time. I'm not a chauvinist. I married the smartest woman I've ever met. But here's the deal. For some reason, that seems to play out in family after family after family, after family, and it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks the heart of God. If we want to go back to last week's message, for those of you who are here, if we want to bring back a morality to our country that sustains a government system that we have right now, we've got to get the fathers back in church. Men have got to take it on themselves to say, for me in my house, we will serve the Lord, and then we're going to get a morality back in this country that will sustain the republic that we have. 
All right, back off the soapbox. Where was I? Okay. They seem to, sinners like to seem to want to double down. And I'll tell you why. Here's what happens. Repentance, because repentance takes humility. Repentance takes humility. Admitting that you are not the God of your own universe. It takes acknowledging and responsibility to, uh, a responsibility to a real God that wants something from us. This whole series is predicated on the concept of what does God want from me? Yeah, God actually wants something from you. And because he's God, he should be able to expect that. And it takes a humility to say that I am not the center of my own universe. God is the center. It takes brokenness. Matthew 5, you, this is a well-trod out passage. Matthew 5, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see that humility? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Humility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want to just dissect that. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that's one of the ones we, well, Jesus was a peacemaker. Yeah, he was the peacemaker. As much as it is your job, make peace. But you can't always, you, you can't always stand up for what's right and have peace follow. We gotta, as far as we're concerned, we love everybody. And we make peace, but we can't substitute peace for truth. Sometimes truth needs to, 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 to um, carry the day. Because the next person, the next passage implies that peace is not always going to be possible. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Make peace, but at the end of the day, you've got to be righteous. For, there is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those. When others revile you, there's conflict there. Revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Facebook. Someone says, who utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When we stand up for righteousness, when we, when we uh, don't avoid the conflict, people are not going to like it. We could be the perfect peacemakers, the meek, humble people, and some people are not going to like it. Because you know why? Because it's going to throw up in their face what they are not. And it's going to hurt inside of them. And they're going to have to come to grips with their own humility or lack thereof. But 12 saves the day. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For you are in good company, is what it says next. For you're in good company. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. The conflict is real. Okay? Last thing. We, we shouldn't be surprised when evil people double down on evil. Last point I want to make is this. We can't be idle. We're talking about idols here. We're talking about false gods. I think one of the worst sins that we've committed, that humans commit, 
is not necessarily the, the sin of action, but the sin of idleness. Let me explain that for you. It's not just enough to not do. We actually have to do. I think there's a lot of things that we as a country have let slide. We haven't addressed it. We haven't spoken up. And we've kind of let things, we've been mediocre, we've been idle. And that, I think, is as much a sin as outright sin. We have to be a people that's willing to have the confrontations that are necessary to have. And we have to do it in a Christ-like way. But we are going to, it's going to cause some grief. It's going to cause some problems for us. But we can't compromise the right thing or we can't stay idle in order to make ourselves feel better or, or, or not have to deal with the, the consequences of it. It's not right. I, I just think about, like, sometimes there's a battle that needs to be fought. There's only a, there's only a peace that lies on the other side of that conflict. And to neglect, to turn a blind eye to, to sin is sin itself. So Elisha in verse 30 said, And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. When we humble ourselves... Right? God wants to take all the broken pieces of our lives and build something that brings glory to his name. I think it's so profound that God showed up in all of his glory on an old broken down altar that somebody repaired. If that doesn't speak to us, God doesn't need it to be shiny and perfect and and pristine. He just needs it to be consecrated to his name. He just needs it to be consecrated to his name. Your life, just as everybody's life, has some broken pieces in it. I think those are some of his favorite pieces because they show just how awesome he is when they're consecrated to him. God loves to use all the broken pieces to show his glory on. When we humble ourselves. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from all the broken pieces of their lives. What does it say that? from their wicked ways. Then I will hear. Did you see that? There's a very important word here. I will hear. I will hear. I will hear. Remember when Elisha called in the name of God? There was no break between his call and God's answer. We don't believe that. I think sometimes, sometimes we've got to start strutting a little bit and our confidence in who God is. I think we hold back. and like, oh, I just want to hedge my bets in here in case God doesn't show up. 
Are you called? Yes. Are you, are you repentant? If you are, if you humble yourselves and pray and seek His face, turn from the wicked ways, start rebuilding some sacred things in your life, God will hear from heaven. Oh, will, will, will. He will forgive your sins and heal your land. When we admit that we have allowed the sacred things to be neglected or even broken down in our lives, God will show up in a big way. It takes us being humble, contrite, to allow this. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Will. 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 Well, I'm sorry. That's kind of getting annoying, isn't it? With your name being Will. But anyway, uh, he's like, what? What? Right here. 2 Corinthians seven ten. For godly grief produces a Repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Look at that. For godly grief. Godly grief. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. A lot of wills in this this sermon today. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Oh, It's okay for you to say, yeah, I messed up. I am pretty a miserable human being. What? That's not going to build your self-esteem. Good. Self-esteem is awful. Only esteem we should have is God-esteem. And that's way better. It's way better. It takes the idol of you being the center of the universe and puts it back on God. Godly grief leads to no regrets. Good stuff. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad I didn't preach the sermon that I was supposed to preach? Okay. He is in the business of turning mourning into dancing and bringing beauty from ashes. Psalms 30. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. But it says right here, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. You hear God's favor made him as secure as a mountain. He said, nothing can stop me. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. As soon as it was all on him, nothing could touch me now. Pride goes before destruction. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, What will it gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can I tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. Verse 11. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I may sing praises to you and not be silent, O Lord, my God. I will give you thanks forever. We must rebuild the altars 
the sacred places in our lives that have been torn down or that we have allowed to fall into disrepair. It's work. Don't be idle. You've got to maintain. Then we are primed to see God do amazing things in, through, and by our lives. Then we'll see the fire of God fall on us, consume all that garbage, and just leave his glory. I can picture, can you picture the people that were standing around? Can you picture this? Think about it for a second. Elisha trotted it out, got all, you know, the bravado and the whole thing, put water and more water and more water. I, you, they were probably like, well, what's going on here? This is definitely unorthodox. Then God shows up in a massive way, and all that's left is the smoking crater of God's presence. <laughs> I could just see, see them going, you see that? Because, I mean, can you imagine the awe of God's glory just in a smoking crater? God will show up and all he'll leave. He'll burn up all the garbage. He'll, he'll burn up every, every drop of, of, of water that the world throws on you to try to keep you doused. He'll keep you, he will, he will um, remove the trenches in your life that keep you separate from his glory, and all he's going to leave is a smoking crater of his glory, and your life will be renewed like the eagles. And you will, and hopefully, in that moment, we'll go, whoa, God's glory is all I need. Is all I need. Nothing will be able to hold back the purifying work of God, not even buckets of water. I'm going, to end you, I'm going to leave you with this one. Ready? He wants to do great things in your life. He does. He wants. He was so wanted to use Israel to do great things. He wants to do great things in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our country, in our world. But we must be willing to do the hard work of building up the sacred places that have been torn down all around us. We have to be willing to have those holy confrontations. And we've got to know that just because we know we're standing in truth, that the evil around us is not going to like it. They're going to double down. And not only that, but they might come after you. Be of good cheer. You're in good company. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. Don't fear them who can kill the body. It's only a body. Be more afraid of one. Be more afraid of the one who has heaven and hell in his, in his grasp. We've got to fear God more than man. That's not, a, that's not a popular message these days, to fear God. No, 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 no. I fear God. He's God. Every single person who has ever encountered the presence of God in any way, shape, or form, they said the same exact response. I love it when people talk about, you know, when we get to heaven. 
When I see God, I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions. What's with this? What's with that? I doubt it. If you even get there, I doubt it. <laughs> that attitude is not real humble right there. I think, I think, I think that when I see God, I'm going to hide my face in the ground because of my sinfulness. I'm going to wait for him to lift me up. I'm going to wait for him to say, hey, Dave, come on, or Davey boy, that's what I'm talking. Hey, come here. Your sins, you're, they're gone. Jesus took care of that. No need to fear. And then I think I'm going to go, God, I had a billion questions that I can't think of anymore because you're just so awesome. We need to fear God, guys. We need to, be a, we, we need to have a holy fear. Fear in its essence. Oh, man, I'm running over time. Fear is in its essence keeps us from hurting ourselves. Do you know that's what pain sensors in your body are for? There's a really uh, amazing uh, disorder when people can't feel pain because they don't, they don't know when they've hurt themselves. Pain does something to our mind and it induces fear. Now, I'm not talking about like crippling fear. I'm talking like healthy fear. So that when you hurt yourself, that pain induces a holy fear that keeps you from doing that stupid thing you just did that hurt yourself. That's, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I, I, I get that. I understand that. Please roll with me here. I know he's not giving us a spirit of fear. But what I am saying is this. Fear in the proper place is going to keep you healthy, holy, and on mission. It's when we don't fear God enough that we get lazy, sinful, and bored with our Christianity. If you're bored with your Christianity, you're not having enough holy conflicts. I'm not saying go look for them. I'm saying you better, they should be coming to you. If you're bored with your Christianity, it means you're not struggling enough with it. If you're bored with God, it means you haven't experienced His presence in a little while. It's time to build up the sacred things in our lives that have been torn down, that have fallen into disrepair because we have not been maintaining them. Time to rebuild altars. Would you stand with me? Oh, God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Just praise him right now for a second. Lord, thank you so much. You are so good, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Hallelujah, God. Thank you for all you are, God. Praise your name. You are worthy of praise, glory, and honor, majesty. Lord, you are, uh, you are like fire, God. When, when people looked at you, they were filled with fear because of they, they, the words they used were things like, I am undone by your presence. That's how holy you are. We treat you with such contempt with our attitudes sometimes. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Ours, not so faithful. 
Lord, I pray that you would return us to our first love. That you would give us a, that you would convict our hearts today to stand for your truth no matter what it costs us. Lord, to be willing to say, no, that's wrong. I will not bow my knee to that false idea. The bales will never have control over me. They are not God's. Only you are God. And that is wrong, and I condemn that thought. God, help us to be willing to have those holy conflicts. God, help us to persevere when the world seems to double down on their sin. Help us not to be discouraged. Lord, help us not to be weary and well-doing. The world can be so wearisome. But we will reap if we do not lose heart. Lord, help us to maintain a close connection to you so that the world around us doesn't wear us down and and cause those sacred things in our life to be put into disrepair. Help us have moments with you where you reveal your glory. Refresh our spirits. And God, may we never be idle. Lord, help this church not to be idle, God. Help us to be active and moving. Help us to be on the front lines of faith, caring, loving, confronting, being the church that you've called us to be. You said if they hated you, they're going to hate us. We should be ready for that. And if they're not hating us enough, maybe we're doing something wrong. Lord, help us. Give us wisdom to know what it means, what it looks like in our culture to rebuild the altars. So now as I send my brothers and sisters off into their week, God, I pray that you would pinpoint in their minds right now some altars that have fallen into disrepair. Some sacred things that have been neglected or torn down in their lives due to the the pressures of the world or just, I don't know, carelessness. God, help us to rebuild those altars and worship you. And we will marvel in your glorious presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Go with God.